Good afternoon and welcome to the show. Well, I've got a great one planned. I've got some returning guests this week. Uh, you'll know their names, of course. Mr. Tim Hudak, he is the CEO of the Ontario Real Estate Association. And of course, we all remember when Tim was the leader of the PC party here in Ontario. And uh, he's now been CEO for over a year. Wow, a year goes by so quickly. And uh, a little bit later in the hour, I've got Mr. Mike Chesahovsky, and he is the Executive Vice President at CBRE. And always a pleasure to have Mike on. We're going to be talking about commercial real estate, what's going on in Toronto. A little bit about the vacancy rate as well you know it's interesting because all we've heard in the news for the last year is how bad the vacancy rate is residentially but you'd be surprised in the actual commercial industrial market it's not much better at all in fact there is still a shortage for people and you know it's interesting because you know Mike's gonna give us some numbers and sizes because you'd be surprised uh, the, the bigger they are the less uh, you know the less vacancy there is it's amazing so it'll be uh, great to talk to him a little bit later in the hour. So uh, just a quick reminder, if uh, if you can't catch the entire show, remember, go to um, uh, News Talk 1010's website. Click on Simply Real Estate and you go, go to my SoundCloud and you'll be able to pick up any of the last shows or the one if you miss any part of today's show. Um, quick, uh, quick note, of course. Coming up, that's right, all of you that have been waiting for a simple investor release, well, it is happening, that's right, coming up next week. If you're not on our email list, make sure you go to thesimpleinvestor.com. We've got a new release coming. I know it's been a long time coming, and a lot of you have been waiting patiently. Sometimes we get caught up in a little bit of the government issues when we are working with conversions. Unfortunately, this one is uh, now getting completed and we're ready to go. So for those of you that are looking for investment properties, we've got it. It's coming. And uh, if you want to get on that list to make sure you get that email, again, go to thesimpleinvestor.com. Click on uh, getting some information from us. Also, uh, one of the things I want to do, of course, is thank all of you that have have uh, mentioned, uh, you know, some inf interesting uh, feedback on some letters that I received uh, over the week. As I said, uh, go to, you can always email me, Todd at thesimpleinvestor.com. And I do want to touch on a letter that I did receive uh, this past week. And um, it is from Jerry and he said, hey, Todd, uh, the, the, the subject line, of course, is eviction because I did touch on it last week. Uh, thank you so much for bringing up the issue of the stupid laws and stupid regulations that Ontario government keeps bringing for landlords while helping and even helping pay tenants rents through hardworking landlords. You know, um, he's mentioned that, uh, of course, he, there's some, you know, very well-off tenants, but he's getting ripped off not just once, but four times. Eviction rules suck in Ontario. And, uh, you know, he asked me to keep bringing up this issue. And you know what, Jerry, no problem. Thanks for the email. I will always start advocating for the uh, landlords because as much as I agree that, you know, tenants should be well taken care of, we still have an eviction issue. It is very, very difficult for landlords to have a tenant evicted for non-payment. And so the real question is, is that what right does a tenant have not to pay their rent? Well, if your landlord has left you high and dry, you have no heat, you have no water, do you know you still have to pay your rent? And legally, you must pay the landlord the rent. You don't have the right to make the call that says, hey, listen, he didn't come in and, and change my faucet, so I'm not going to pay rent. 
that is actually illegal. And for that, if you do get taken to what we used to call the landlord tenant board, um, you can get, you know, fined, you can get evicted or the process can be started. So I would caution tenants for keeping, you know, or holding money over the head of the landlord. But if you just don't pay because either you don't have the money or you don't want to pay your landlord, is that fair to the landlord? And, you know, one of the things that people are saying is that, you know, it's almost becoming a battle between landlord and tenant. Well, I don't think that it's being helped or assisted when the provincial government decides to change the name of the landlord tenant board. I mean, I thought that was just a perfect, you know, name for it, of course. They're representing the landlords, representing the tenants. It's a board uh, that meets and, you know, they can convene and have rulings and make rules and changes and everything else. But how about this new one? They now want to call it the Social Justice Tribunals of Ontario. The Social Justice, well, you know, I think they missed on calling it the correct name. I think it should have been the Socialist Injustice Tribunals. And that's right, because one of the problems here is that they're not fair. Um, if a landlord misses on paperwork at all, then the whole thing gets thrown out. And one of the things here at the Simple uh, Simple Investors, we've got a new program coming out for landlords in the spring, and you're going to want to stay tuned on it because we're going to help landlords become better. And it's going to allow people to know all the rules and the regulations. But again, I mean, isn't that a mouthful? I mean, why couldn't they just leave well enough alone? Well, I guess they're going to hop on their uh, high horse and ride it into the sunset saying, look at us, look at us, we're doing more for everyone. Where uh, again, I would say, Jerry, you were bang on, you know, the eviction rules are not fair to landlords, uh, especially when you kind of get stuck having to not get payment for 60, 90 days, and then the people walk. So Again, I'm not going to harp too much more on it, but the truth is, is that there is a little bit of injustice out there, and go figure, they've decided to call it the social justice version of the tribunals now in Ontario. Interesting. Um, hey, listen, you know how we keep talking about affordability and how, you know, the Toronto area is, you know, the, the economy especially are continue to go up, you know, right now, a little bit of adjustment in the marketplace. Here we are, you know, basically middle of February. And, uh, but if you, uh, if you want to go, well, how about a little bit north um, in Ontario, how about grabbing yourself a, your own private island in Northern Ontario? Well, it costs less, uh, almost costs the same price as a condominium nowadays. 2.29 acres for 775000 I was taking a look at the pictures. Unbelievable. Log cabin, every, I mean, absolutely stunning for seven seventy five. You know what? Uh, it just kind of puts things into perspective. Location, location, location. You do pay for a location, but does it mean it's still the best investment? Not always, especially when we start talking about investment properties because a lot of this stuff I'll tell you the brand new stuff that's being built your negative cash flow so does it make you an investor or does it make you a speculator um, you know one of the things that another uh, report coming out and I always find these interesting the city's on the verge of a housing bubble well guess where we rate in the GTA Numero uno. Um, when they take a look at it, they call it the UBS Global Real Estate Bubble Index. Toronto is number one at uh, they go, the, the the way they do the scale is 
it's the plus numbers. So right now Toronto's coming in at plus 2.12. You know what the next city behind us is? Stockholm, then Munich, then Vancouver, Sydney in Australia, London, England. Then we go to Hong Kong, Amsterdam, Paris, all the way down. It keeps going down and down and down and down. Um, definitely they're saying Chicago is not overpriced and no fear of a housing bubble. Go figure. But right now, Toronto is the leader. Well, I guess you have to be number one at something. I don't know if we want to be number one in a bubble. A lot of our uh, our real estate experts here in Toronto are saying, um, not a bubble. And the fact is, is that keep the government out of it, and it won't be. Keep the government in it, and it could have some problems. Right now, they're saying that the uh, lull in the Toronto housing market, and you've heard the numbers, they've been in the news lately that uh, January was off a little. Again, we're adjusting to probably the stress test. We're adjusting to a, you know, basically a winter market, but the numbers are a little bit down. But of course, what do all of the media outlets do? Well, let's make a title out of it. Why not call it Lull in Toronto's Housing Gives Buyers the Upper Hand? Really, upper hand. Um, so the same price, basically, you know, let's say it's off by one or two percent. So the same price in 2017, and now all of a sudden the buyers have the upper hand. I would disagree with that title altogether. In fact, I don't like headlines like that because I think it's giving a false impression. I would say that it's tougher now for buyers than it was this time last year. Even though the even though the dollar value has not moved much as far as the actual cost of buying. But here's the problem: you just had the um, the office put in the stress test. So now you got to qualify for way higher. You've had some interest rate increases. You know, government's not helping us. It's made it worse. And yet they're saying now it gives the buyers the upper hand. No, it doesn't. And, uh, you know, I hate, I really do hate titles like this. And, and when they start leading these stories, trying to make everybody feel that, hey, the market's down a little. So all buyers jump in. The, the, the actual uh, market itself has not corrected itself enough to start saying it's a perfect buyer's market. There is still not a whole lot of inventory. Yes, we've got more that have come in, you know, January to January or February to February. But the truth is, is that there is still a balanced number. There's still a balanced number of buyers looking at the balanced number of sellers. So at this point, let's not call it something that it's not. By the way, how much money do you need to buy a home? Well... Right now, they're saying some of the income ratings are out of whack. Let me uh, let me help you out and tell you where the affordability lies right now, because there is an actual list that came out, and I find it interesting, because right now, if we take a look, and what they do is they take your income and they do a multiplier for what the average price is. So if we're talking about condos right now, Milton is a seven, which they're saying is an affordable number. The number is seven. So basically, they're saying that the median one-person income in Milton is fifty-four thousand. The average condo price is three hundred ninety-three thousand. So they're saying, hey listen, not bad affordability. We've got Clarington, uh, numbers is, is a seven, Ajax an eight, which means that your, your income is actually going down. So the median income is going down a little, but the condo price is sitting at 376 out in Ajax. Brampton, they're saying is an eight, Whitby an eight. But uh, one of the ones, one of the worst ones is actually Mississauga. It's at an 11. So prices are much higher, income's not as strong. But of course, number one leading is Toronto. So right now, the average condo price in Toronto, 616,000. Median one person income, of course, is 38. So 16 times your earnings is what the average condo price is going to be. Well, 
I know it's not uh, all the news that you want to hear, but it is the news. Anyways, uh, coming up after the break, I've got Mr. Tim Hudak joining me, and we're going to be talking about the Ontario Real Estate Association and what is going on. So stay with us. We'll be right back after this. And welcome back. So now joining me is Mr. Tim Hudak. He is the CEO of the Ontario Real Estate Association and also the former leader of the PC Party for Ontario. And Tim, welcome back to the show. Hey, Todd, thanks for having me back on. Always a pleasure having you. And uh, Tim, you know what? You and I haven't t- spoken uh, for the last few months. A lot of stuff going in uh, in the market, I guess, with the Ontario Real Estate Association you know, all sorts of new government implementation. We've seen interest rates go up. We've seen, you know, more measures put in than we've seen in a long, long time. Can you kind of give us a bit of an update where ARIA is focusing 2018? I mean, we just came off, you know, probably one of the biggest cycles in 2017, a huge peak, then some valleys, and now we've got 2018 starting out. You know, it's a little questionable where the market's going to go. What does ARIA see and what do they have planned for, uh, you know, real estate in Ontario this year? Yeah, you bet. Well, look, the number one goal for Ontario realtors is helping connect more people with a place to call home. You know, whether that's a millennial and she's got her first job, time to move out of mom and dad's house and she wants to get a condo or a small place. Uh, We're talking about the young couple who just had a kid and they want to upgrade their home. That's what Ontario realtors are fighting for every day, not only in neighbourhoods, but at Queen's Park and city halls across the province. So I'll give you a couple things, Todd. You tell me what path you want to go down. I mean, number one, we last year successfully preserved consumer choice when it came to using realtor. They want to so we'll call that double ending. We call it consumer choice. We've won some concessions in the province in terms of doubling the land transfer tax, free pay for first-time home buyers, as well as increasing housing supply. And a big one in our target right now as we begin 2018 uh, is this so-called stress test. When you're in an increasing rate, mortgage rate environment, that stress test is no longer necessary on careful savers, and that's going to hurt the Canadian dream of home ownership. Yeah, you know, um, when, when they did first come out with the idea of that stress test, I thought to myself, okay, well, hang on. We're talking about a five-year you know, mortgage rate that people now have to qualify for 2% higher. And for our listeners' sake, you know, um, our marketplace uh, in Canada is probably one of the only places in the world that have imposed such a restriction on mortgages. Yeah, it is really a regulatory overkill by government who think that we can't make our own responsible decisions. And, and look, Todd, if we had a you know whole lack of mortgage defaults happening or irrational behavior, like I'd get it, but mortgage defaults have actually gone down in the past year. So if you're listeners who might not be directly involved in, in real estate, this is what it means. So you go in to get your mortgage, as many of us have done or others hope to do, and now to qualify for the mortgage rate the bank gives you, for example, you've got to pay two percentage points higher. So say you lock into a fixed rate in the next five years of 5%, now you've got to qualify for 7%. There are about 50,000 Canadians now, Todd, who will not qualify to buy a new home or to upgrade. And many of those are millennials, new Canadians, people who are moving up on the work ladder. It's a real shame, and I hope the federal liberals take off this restriction because it goes way too far. 
Yeah, I agree, Tim. And and one of the things as also a, a comment, of course, is the fact that your current lender will renew your mortgage without putting you through the stress test. But if you want to go and find a competitive rate out of the market, you know, if we're looking at 3.6, you now have to qualify at 5.6. There's going to be people coming up for renewal that will not be able to switch lenders because they are now deemed to be a new mortgage and they have to go out and qualify with another lender. Yeah, you make a great point, and you know we could go on probably your entire show about the unintended consequences that people get sideswiped by this. But you made a great example there. So if you stay with your existing lender, then you're not subject to that mortgage test. And the problem there is, you know, consumer choice makes the world go round. You always want to have a number of options, and by limiting choice, that's never in the best interests of consumers because they'll sign on to a deal that's probably not the best one they could get. The other aspect we expect to see, Todd, is that people who don't qualify for the additional two-point stress test, they'll still get a mortgage. They'll just go into the gray market area. And the problem with the gray market area is, number one, the mortgage rates tend to be higher, so you're paying more into interest and not paying down your principal. And secondly, they're unregulated. So you could be signing a bad deal. There might be something hidden in the fine print that's not going to be in your interest. And so we're going to push more people to be on the raw end of a bad deal. Yeah. You know, I, again, I think the government, you know, isn't looking forward enough. I think that they're being very reactionary right now, you know, almost behind the trend. And Tim, one of the things, you know, you were, you were, of course, a lot of people will rely on you when the upcoming elections are coming. And of course, we've got a, you know, a provincial election coming up this year. And one of the comments that you had actually alluded to was that, you know, a lot of people that are going to be voting are looking for the potential of a candidate that's going to talk about affordable housing. But, you know, I, I really do want your take on this because one of the biggest issues would be this, is that if the provincial government has the ability to control a real estate market, to force the market down as they have tried to do last year when they turned around and implemented, you know, their system for the fair housing markets, when they turn around and do something like that, they're also taking the wealth away from the people that have established it for years owning a property. You know, how can this actually be any kind of commitment by any person that's trying to get elected where they're going to say, listen, you know, we're going to take the value away from your home so the new new you know the new millennials can turn around and buy a property so we're going to hurt you financially only to aid you know some voters yeah i think any government that you know brings in policies that tip the market downwards and undermine the value the biggest source of savings for the entire you know ontario middle class will be quickly shown the door by voters and and rightfully so so what would we suggest going forward? Well, I'll just finish on the stress test. You know, one thing that we can't forget, the people who are being impacted are the most careful savers, right? These are folks who can make a 20% down payment today and have got a clean lending record. So, number one, take the stress test off. That's national. Provincially, I think the way you attack this, well, give some assistance to first-time home buyers. For example, the province did move to increase the land transfer tax rebate for first-time home buyers especially in Toronto, you get nailed by that land transfer tax, right? So why don't we take that off, at least for first-time homebuyers, Todd, that will go a long way to helping them climb that first rung on the housing ladder. And the last thing I'd say is, in the long run, the answer is supply. We need to have more housing and more housing choices in the marketplace, whether you're a big city or a medium-sized community.
Yeah, you know, you, you, you touched on a good point, and this has always been one of those arguments. A lot of people are saying that, you know, the inflationary pricing that we've had, you know, through through the last 10 years was not a lack of supply. You know, it was, you know, a lot of people thought it was driven by the foreign buyers. I know that ARIA is, you know, right on top of all the, the you know, polls that are out there understanding, you know, who is actually doing the purchasing. You know, when we did find out last year, it wasn't as nearly aggressive with foreign buyers as they first thought so you know my, my take always on it and Tim you don't have to weigh in on it when I put it this way but quite frankly I knew that the wind government was just doing a shotgun approach just trying to do something to appease voters but ultimately in the end you know we do have an inventory problem here in Ontario we've got so many people uh, you know immigrating into the province as well as doing you know cross provincial you know moves I mean Ontario is a very attractive place to obviously raise a family, have a job, you know, have your vacation properties, you know, as the CEO of ARIA, you know, you've, you've got this huge span with working with realtors. Are you seeing that, you know, I mean, you know, we, 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 you and I have talked about the foreign buyers before. It wasn't as prevalent as everybody thought it was. Yeah, I mean, look, that's an old trick that, you know, all political parties have used over the years in different situations. We saw a similar scapegoating in British Columbia where, you know, employing overseas is awesome for foreigners that are kind of the problem, when in reality it's government policy restricting housing supply. Um, look, we've got a, a good problem on our hands. More people want to live in the greater Golden Horseshoe. That's Canadians, that's people moving here to create jobs, that's millennials who are now moving into the job market or having families. Those are good problems to have relative to the opposite. The core issue is we're not building enough supply to meet that growing demand. And when you have more people chasing fewer and fewer houses, that means prices are going up. And that great Canadian dream of home ownership will slip out of reach for millennials or new arrivals. Yeah. Well, listen, Tim, it's always a pleasure to have you on the show. Um, obviously, I know you'll be watching what the government does uh, to the real estate world for the next little while. Um, it's great to have you as CEO. Um, you know, how, how do you feel? You, you, you've settled in pretty much. You're, you're, you're through your basically your first year. Are you, are you feeling good about the future of the Ontario Real Estate Association? Yeah. Well, look, my, the pass on the door still works when I come in every day. So I you know, started my sophomore season, so that's good. Um, yeah, I, you know, I think we made a lot of progress, Todd, on some of the issues that we've talked about. Um, we're on the right side of an important value proposition to hardworking Canadians, and that's making sure that that next generation can afford a home and people can upgrade. And we've got to push some of our ideas and make sure they click, but a lot have so far. And the last thing, I'll make a quick pitch. We've got a great convention coming up at the end of February in Toronto. It's called the Reality Conference. Listeners can check it out at orea, O-R-E-A dot com and just go to Reality Conference. It's basically like you and I talked about, Todd, taking on in a bold and candid way the biggest issues confronting Canadian real estate, and particularly the impact on technology for consumers and realtors. Your listeners should go. Yeah, definitely. And, and sorry, what was that date again? It's February 27, 28, March 1st, the Reality Conference. You can sign up at aria.com. Excellent. Listen, Tim, always a pleasure to have you on the show, and we'll stay in touch, and we'll see what happens with the spring market. Thanks for your time, sir. Have a great weekend now. Thanks so much. Folks, that was Mr. Tim Hudak. He is CEO of the Ontario Real Estate Association. Always a pleasure to have Tim join us. And coming up after the break, I've got Mr. Mike Cheskohoski. He is from CBRE joining me. So stay with us. We'll be right back after this. 
And welcome back. So joining me today in the studio is Mr. Mike Chesahoski, and he is the Executive Vice President at CBRE. You've uh, you've heard Mike here uh, on Simply Real Estate numerous times. He's kind of our go-to guy, especially when we start talking about, you know, commercial properties. And Mike, thanks. Uh, thanks for joining me today. Thank you for having me back. Yeah, always always a pleasure. And uh, you know, you're you're actually you know becoming a bit of a star when it comes down to talking about commercial real estate because it's always great to get all the factual information and how do you kind of bring us up to speed? Um, so before before I jump ahead and start talking to you about what uh, you know some latest and greatest, uh, how did 2017 end up panning out for for the year? Was it a good Good thing in commercial. I mean, we saw some fluctuation residentially, of course, as you know. You know, when you and I were talking about the residential stuff, you were saying, "Hang on, it's going to be a roller coaster." Yeah. Uh, did you did you find the same in the commercial industry, or no? Uh, it was great. It was a, a one of our record years. Uh, so, office, retail, industrial were steady with very low rate vacancy rates. Right. Our, you know, we've we've continued to grow across the board. There, Canada is well looked at by the international industry and uh, market as a place to go to invest. And on the residential side, our condo market has continued to move forward. Inventories are at some of the lowest levels. The single family home market, although we're sitting with a very low inventory, mm -hmm. uh, sales have been quiet since May on the new home side. Right. But you can't sell what you don't have. <laughs> yeah, you know, I always have a great conversation about uh, inventory. So when, when we did a quick recap at 2017, obviously, you know, in, residentially, the numbers kind of dropped off for the resale. You know, um, you know, there was that huge run up in the spring market where we saw huge values and then we saw it kind of taper down. And But people were still ahead year over year. One of the things that uh, we do talk about uh, regularly, and, and they put they focus a lot more on this, obviously, in the news, is when we talk about residential um, rents. Okay, so, you know, the, the, the vacancy rate. And, of course, residentially, I mean, we're basically 1% or lower at this point in the GTA market. I mean, there's it's really tough to find a place to live. Well, we talk about, you know, uh, office buildings, for instance, in the Toronto core. You know, we've been, there's been so many residential condominiums being built. Um, is the vacancy rate low right now in the commercial market? Tremendously low. Right. Especially for the big block space. If you're a 2,000-square-foot tenant, there's still lots to look at. Right. If you're a 150,000 square foot tenant, there's probably two or three blocks to look at. Really? And so if we if we talk about, you know, the vacancy rate, I know that, you know, commercial for the longest time, I think I think your industry was floating around, you know, anywhere between 5 and 10%, you felt that that was, you know, a a good marketplace. Did it drop lower than that? It's low single digits. Wow. It's low because even the buildings that have been built, and we've had some new towers come online, are full. And there was always a concern, okay, that A space that is moving to the new A space, right. but everybody's moved up, the tech sector continues to grow, and we're looking at one of the hottest tech sectors in North America, and that's really fueling the office space demand. Wow. Um, let's, uh, let's touch on, um, you know, what the government has not done. Okay. Um, I'm not going to put you on too much of the hot seat here, but you know, last, last year when you and I were, were chatting about this, you know, it was the whole idea of development charges, the idea that the government is really ringing out the developers. And the fact is that the process takes so long. Um, 
has there been any improvement? I mean, or is there any even a suggestion in the near future that the government's actually going to be more proactive to help bring in inventory? Because right now, I mean, the biggest thing, you know, we, we've been watching the news and quite frankly, we keep seeing developers canceling, you know, these developments. You know, obviously rent control last year had a big effect on people. But at the same time, we keep looking at things saying, hey, you know, government, you, you keep crying to us about you know how how we need to have supply but you're not helping us there's been no change (laughs) it's getting progressively worse and now we're we're looking down the barrel of a doubling of development charges in the 416 on residential wow so that's a significant increase probably around between 40 and fifty thousand dollars per unit that has to be absorbed someplace when you say per unit you're talking residential units yes Wow, an increase on forty thousand. I mean, you know, this this the only thing that happens then is it gets passed on to the end user, which is normally the buyer. Yes. Okay. If you can. Yeah. If not, then the development will slow down. Are you finding that builders are starting to be less motivated to develop in Toronto? I mean, you know, you you, you obviously and, and and folks just to kind of give you an update. I mean, CBRE is the biggest uh, commercial industrial uh, real estate firm in the world. And of course, Mike, you are you know you are you know well known uh, right across Canada. You understand your marketplace. Um, is is Toronto just eventually going to have developers say, "Listen, we're not interested here anymore"? I really hope not. <laughs> but we recently sold a site at Bloor and Sherburne, a large condo site. We had tremendous activity, both from the institutional side to build purpose-built rentals, and from the condo side. On the condo and purpose-built rental side, we're not slowing down. We haven't really felt. We are going to feel this effect of a doubling in development charges. Right. That's going to hurt us. Yeah. Um, you know, there's uh, there's been, you know, obviously a lot of campaign promises being being made uh, by, you know, certain people that I guess want to get reelected. And again, you know, when they, when they threw at the rent control, you know, you and I had a conversation last year that there was, there was purpose-built apartment buildings being done by developers for the first time in I don't know how many years because it's been a long time since we saw developers actually mm-hmm. weigh into that. They were going to do it. They all went backwards. They just said, listen, this isn't making sense. Um, do, do you think that we're going to see, um, you know, any purpose-built apartments? I mean, there's there's no incentive. The government is the government going to do anything, or, or is there anything even on, you know, the 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 future spectrum that we can count on? Because again, you know, the biggest thing that we don't have is affordable housing, and yet the government is doing nothing for it. The government's using some of their own assets, some of their own sites, to try to get private-public partnerships to have developers partner with them and build purpose-built rentals that are affordable, or at least a portion are affordable. Right. Is it going to work? We're going to have to wait and see. Kind of like a hybrid then. Yes. Okay, because um, I do know there was an introduction, uh, the idea of, you know, the first so many floors were more affordable housing, and then the upper part of the towers, of course, would be the ones that there would be condominium. So kind of like a hybrid version of it. Is that what T- they're doing? Today we're mixing units amongst. You will not know the difference between a regular rental unit and an affordable one. Now, would a buyer, so so are we just talking about, would it be a mix where they have rental and ownership, or is it going to be just rental only? It'll just be rental. Okay. Because, again, looking at affordability, you, you, would, you would wonder why anybody would want to buy into a building like that. Because, again, you've got two, and, and, you know, I'm not trying to put too much of a divide to it, but if you've got, you know, let's say a affordable, and then you've got a standard, you know, 
are people going to be happy to be in a building even though you don't know if you found out would that upset anybody for the greater good <laughs> it should be mixed in right it should be because people that are are in need of affordable housing should live next to someone that isn't right and you know it's typical living and they're going to help each other and live together and i think long term getting away from that one building that's all affordable housing and mixing them into a typical building is the best thing for our our communities in our country it's it's time to mix it right in and let everybody live together okay um when when the builders are now eyeing this as a future uh plan um, you, you'd mentioned that, you know, they're going to form a partnership with the government. I, I've never heard that working out well in the past. <laughs> is, is there, is, are, are they going to take a different take on it? Or is it just, um, you know, here, we've got a piece of land. We're going to sell it to you as long as you build it this way. Uh, we're working for Infrastructure Ontario. Right. And they're dealing with the assets. There's some very smart people at Infrastructure Ontario. Right. That are dealing with this and going through it. Um, we've had multiple meetings and we continue to have lots of meetings with developers and nonprofit groups uh, for these sites, I think it's going to work. Well, that's good. I mean, listen, you, you, your, your experience alone tells me that if you think it's going to work, that it stands a chance. I think so. Uh, uh, as long as the government doesn't screw it up. And that's, that's the thing. Normally, they step in it themselves. You know, you don't have to prod them. They normally do it all by themselves. We're, we're, we're hopeful this time that we're going down the right path. <laughs> they're asking the right advice. Sure. And they're listening. So I, I think they're, they're, they're going down the right path, and hopefully it's going to work. Yeah, excellent. Um, folks, if you're just tuning in, I've got Mike Chesahosky with me. He is the Executive Vice President at CBRE. You've heard him here before on Simply Real Estate. Um, when we come back, Mike, I want to talk more about, uh, I guess, a couple of recent transactions. And uh, I heard that a big REIT actually uh, is shifting this, uh, this past week. So, folks, uh, stay with us. When we come back, I've got more with Mr. Mike Chesahosky. Stay with us. We'll be right back after this. And welcome back. If you're just tuning in, my guest in the studio this hour is Mr. Mike Chesovsky. And um, Mike, just before the break, you and I were kind of breaking down that the uh, the government's trying to make an attempt to uh, work with some private entities and maybe start introducing some purpose-built rental properties. You know, one of the things that, of course, in Toronto, and you know, there's 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 nobody better than you know your company, CBRE, uh, the biggest uh, basically in the world uh, as far as the real estate brokerage when it comes down to commercial industrial um, you know you guys are on top of everything I mean folks if you you'd almost you know have to you know be wearing you know certain kind of goggles if you couldn't see your signs everywhere because they are um, but that said um, there's only so much land that we have um, you know recent uh, just recently there was uh, you know pretty interesting parcel that uh, that you'd been representing and it did sell uh, can you kind of give us an update on how a transaction like that happens and and what's going on with it uh, when we put out a transact uh, parcel of that magnitude mm -hmm. and this was a, a large deal you could build in excess of 400 units right. on a single tower at Bloor and Sherbert right we recommend a modified tender process. It's like an auction that's everything slated towards the vendor. Right. If someone has high-end property, this is what to do. Right. It gives them all the options and the parameters of the deal that the uh, people bid based on, mm -hmm. and we go through multiple rounds, usually two rounds, sometimes three, right. in terms of people submitting bids, resubmitting bids, shortlisting, and getting to a final competitive situation where they're putting their best foot forward 
and getting the best price for the property. Wow. So, you know, not unlike some of the multiple offers in the residential market, you're still feeling and seeing this in your commercial industrial land markets that there's a lot of people, I guess because there's so such a limited supply. There's very limited land, especially approved land. And today with the elimination of the OMB, it's getting more and more difficult to go through the process. So lands that have approvals or as of right type of zonings that are lucrative are highly in demand. Wow. And so when when you say that, you know, somebody's going to be building, uh, let's say, 400 units, is there a timeline that you, I mean, uh, of course you can't be exact, but is there a timeline? So if, if they've already bought an approved property, you know, right now we're basically calling it dirt. By the time they turn around and they hand somebody the keys, how many years does it take from that, to, from start to finish? From the commencement of construction? Yeah. Between two and three. Two and three years. Probably closer to three today. Okay, so if we if we if we take kind of a generalization that most of the big buildings in Toronto, as you said, you know, two to three years completion, but you know, I what I, what I've heard through the industry is that sometimes you know to get everything approved, you know, you can add another five years just to get approval on a piece of, of land. Anywhere from two to ten. Right. I used to, I used to say two to three. Two to three. Uh, yeah. I'll say two to ten. Two to ten. <laughs> wow. You know, and, and, and that's a bit of a crapshoot for a developer. I mean, you know, they're they're they've got to watch the market. They've got to make sure that their costs are going to be covered. I mean, look, if if the market takes a big hit, um, you know, let's say they're building residential and the market turns around and goes down, you know, by twenty, thirty percent, the builder could be stuck for. I mean, we're we're, t- we're in the millions and millions of dollars. How is it that some of these guys are still looking at it? I mean, and sorry, shouldn't say guys, the developers, because you know, all we've got all sorts of different ones out there. How is it possible that for for some of these to be able to look in a crystal ball, you know, five to eight, you know, ten years down the road, without you know having you know, obviously they've, a lot of them had success, but we've had such a run up over the last 10 years, especially in the condominium market, is it something that people think that the, you know, the gas is going to stay on? They have to have faith or else they're not going to buy land. Right. The first thing you stop buying is land if you think things are going to get worse. Okay. Because the price is going to adjust. So similar to when the tax came in in April, people thought there was going to be an adjustment in, in price. It never really happened to any great extent, right. so things slowed down. Same with the land. If they feel that the development industry is going to slow down or prices are going to come off, they will stop buying land. We had in excess of 10 bids on our site at Bloor and Sherburn. Wow. So we had lots of choice. And, and I guess for yourselves, you know, you, you have to vet them out. I, I, again, when, when talking about re- the residential transaction, you know, a uh, person shows up, certified check, you know, the, the you know, firm offer basically when we talk about commercial, I mean, there's a heck of a lot more in that transaction than just, hi, we're paying for this and we're firm. You have to have good lawyers. Good lawyers. <laughs> good lawyers. Because when you get into 50 and 100 page documents, sure, I'm not a lawyer. Right. We're reliant on the lawyers to tell us that everything on the legal side is okay. We will judge the person both by financial, by reputation, ability to close. If we don't know them, we ask them for proof. Right. But we're really trying to compare apples to apples and our past experiences with that purchaser. Yeah, 
Excellent. Uh, folks, if you're just tuning in, uh, Mr. Mike Chachowski is with me. He is the Executive Vice President at CBRE. And uh, Mike, right now, um, we're seeing some skyscrapers even in uh, downtown Edmonton, apparently big prices. Like the, there's some really strong markets out there. Um, obviously, you know, our success in Ontario has is well noted, even around the world. They're, they're saying that, you know, the indexes are a little out of whack in Toronto. Um, are there other pockets in Canada right now that you're finding a real strong drive for developers to be going to? Other than Vancouver, of course. Yeah, but I, I, th I think the 905 mm -hmm. is really looking at it. And with the change in development charges, I think you'll see more and more high-rise development in the 905. You look at areas like Jane and, uh, Jane and Seven, Markham City Centre, right. those will continue to grow because now they're going to be on a level playing field. The, their development charges will be the same as ours in 416. Right. So that's going to push development. And we're starting to see areas like Niagara Falls, Hamilton, Barrie really taking off. Yeah, People are willing with a GO train to commute every day. Wow. When, uh, when you, you mentioned Mississauga, uh, big development coming out there. Uh, I believe it's is it with the Rogers Group uh, on Burnham Thorpe and Highway 10. Yes, they have a large piece of property they bought ages ago right. in the Markham City, uh, Mississauga City Centre. Right. And I think uh, forecasting somewhere in uh, six to 10,000 units is going to be a major, almost like a little city inside a yes. city. Now, something like that, I, I'm assuming that, it, you know, that's not, that's not going to be completed in three years, obviously. It should be somewhere around five to 10, I would imagine, for full completion. I would guess 10 yeah. plus. Yeah. Depending on the absorption. Right. Construction is not getting any quicker. Or any less expensive, <laughs> right. so probably over ten years. Yeah, wow. Um, in in the news this week, of course, um, you know we we hear a lot about REITs, and I believe it was Crete that was uh, bought uh, by is it was Choice. it was it by the Loblaws REIT by the Loblaws REIT, right? Um, are we going to start seeing a little bit of that? I mean, you know, they're they're pretty big landowners. I think the value was coming in somewhere in like three point nine billion dollars for mm -hmm. worth of value. I mean, is this something that we're going to start seeing more of? You know, big big companies getting bigger and the little guys getting bought up. Yes, yes. So a lot of these large companies, in order to make a, themselves a presence, will will merge or or do large acquisitions. And today, to get individual properties fast enough to grow a REIT right. is tough. The market is very tight. Right. So buying another REIT or uh, an operating company is a way to go. Now, is this something that uh, a company like yourself, you, you go in and do evaluations for them? Because, I mean, obviously they've got to establish a value. You know, people have the ability of investing in a REIT. You know, it's basically a stock, and the stock is the purpose built to purchase investment properties. You know, so if, if just the, the layman's out there, they want to invest in a stock, they'll do it. They'll buy a couple shares of a, of a certain REIT. And so that money, of course, is used, utilized for, you know, purchase and acquisition of, of good investment properties. But when, if, if a REIT's trading hands, is it like a regular, you know, buy that's like, hey, we're buying all these assets, so we need to establish the value? Yes. Yes, but we, we have people to do that. We have a large group of analysts in our downtown office, and we have the national investment team right. that are right across Canada, and they can coordinate the valuations of the existing assets based on the income they're producing, sure. and they'd look to our team to help value the land. Right. So CB across the board cooperates amongst all the brokers, but we really look to our national investment team, which are a large group of investment bankers right. that 
would do that type of transaction. Yeah, I mean, I, just just the whole idea. I think I think when people see it come through the news, it's like, oh, you know, was uh, how quick was that? It probably took you know quite a while for them to even to figure figure out a value on it. They usually don't give us a lot of time. You'd be surprised. Really? When, when you pick up the phone and they say three weeks, oh, you're and then kidding. yeah, and then you're scrambling. But you know, we have a large group of of qualified brokers yeah. that have the ability, and a lot of the valuations they can do just through experience. So, how big is uh, CBRE, by the way? Seventy thousand employees now. Wow, that is huge. huge. Yeah. But what we're doing, we're not only doing brokerage. We're doing investment banking. We're doing uh, mortgage brokerage. There's a huge facilities management division, right. property management. The facilities management does a lot of the banks, does the province. So a lot of these large organizations and institutions come to us and said, "We want you to run our real estate. Right. We're just too big to do our own, yeah. and we have the ability to do it." Yeah. Excellent. Um, so, got an election coming up. Um, do you do you still see twenty eighteen being a strong commercial industrial market? Are, are are we are we looking good for the next couple of years? It feels good. It feels good. It feels good. Yeah. It, it's it's the first person they're going to stop calling is me. Right. And uh, they're still calling, and they're still anxious to buy land right. of all sorts. So that tells me there's still a lot of faith and a lot of money in our market, which is great for our economy. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. And, and because of, because of, you know, so much of your industry is, you know, uh, again, redevelopment, development, you know, building, I mean, it's a huge, huge income generator, obviously, for the province and, and the federal government. Just on a quick note, are we going to start seeing more and more of the smaller apartment buildings being bought up and knocked down? I mean, we did see a little bit of that uh, out in the Etobicoke area, you know, a couple of, of older buildings were bought, they knocked them down and put up some really big buildings. Is this one of the ways for developers to still find a place on the map? Yes, depending on the size of the building and the lot. Mm -hmm. So there has to be enough density that can be achieved long-term to justify the rental replacement that has to be on-site. Right. So usually you have to do one-for-one one replacement, and that is a drag on income for the development. But if it's big enough, it can, it can take that on. Yeah. Excellent. Listen, Mike, always a pleasure to have you on the show. And uh, definitely, um, you know, I'd like to have you come back, uh, you know, in the next few months, and we can keep looking at the market. Thank you very much. Excellent. Folks, that was Mr. Mike Chesahoski, and he is the Executive Vice President at CBRE. So I'd just like to thank my guests this hour, of course, Tim Hudak, CEO of the Ontario Real Estate Association, and Mr. Mike Chesahoski joining me. He is the Executive Vice President of CBRE. These gentlemen are so knowledgeable, and it's always a pleasure to have them on the show. And coming up next week, I've got Mr. Harry Stinson joining me right here in the studio, so you don't want to miss him. He's going to talk all about some developments that he's done and some of the future developments that we're going to see from him. So make sure you join us next week with Mr. Harry Stinson. Of course, I want to thank Ian Grant, my producer. He always makes it simple for me every single week. And I'd like to thank you for tuning in. So remember, I'm back next Saturday at 3 p.m. I'm your host, Todd C. Slater. You've been listening to Simply Real Estate right here on News Talk 1010.